Hey, yo, welcome to another edition of 43.6, the sports podcast you always wanted. I'm Dustin Perry, and I'm joined by James Key. Hello, James. Joined barely alive, but I'm here. James is, in fact, here, and also here is Maddie Key. Hello, Maddie. Hey, Dustin met my kid today, kind of. I, I did vis- uh, virtually over uh, Discord. Yep. Maddie held the the loaf up to yes. the uh, the camera, and I, I waved and I said some things, but the headphones were only on Maddie's head, so <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there was uh, no audible interaction. But nevertheless, yeah, I did. It was uh, it was a pleasure of mine, she, of course. She made and noises. It is though. also sorry. She did make noises back though. She did make noises. Yeah. yeah. And so. that's what we plan to do on this episode: is make a lot of noise. We are going to talk about. The Toronto Maple Leafs, who made a whole lot of noise this past week, uh, just right leading into the trade deadline, and then all the changes that to their lineup that they have seen. Plus, in terms of changes, Lamar Jackson is kind of re-signed, but probably not. He's probably on the move, and there's a whole bunch of other quarterbacks on the move as well. And the World Baseball Classic starts today as of recording. By the time uh, this episode comes out, it'll probably be uh, well underway. And all of that and a whole lot more coming up this week on 43.6, which, of course, is brought to you by Now Your Treasures, which we will talk a bit more about later. But first, we do want to talk about what's been going on in our lives and what has been happening since the last time we joined you for an episode, which last week was episode 45. This is now episode 46 of 43.6. And we'll start with James. James, what's going on? So... I've been, dude, I've been buried in the biggest, probably two weeks of like work meetings of my entire life, just internal meetings, external meetings, presentations, whatever, like the, the full traditional eight to five <clears throat> treatment, like, and I will say like it's, it's been catered for the most part. So at least there's that. And we've had some half decent food come in there. Um, but I almost made I almost made one of the most biggest. Uh, how do you say what do you, rookie? This move? this is a, like a, not a rookie mistake, but it's it's a big mistake. I almost made a really really big mistake, and if I wasn't wise enough, you know, as I am, I would have. This would have been a story for the ages. So I have to I have to precurse this. So when my brother and I used to work in. Uh, like a meat cutting department back in the day, our old boss told us this story about this kid who was in like beavers. So in in <laughs> in uh, scouts or in scouts Canada, there's levels. There's beavers, there's scouts, uh, venturers, so on and so uh, cubs, so on and so on. Uh, so it was Remembrance Day, and the beaver <laughs> he's already crying because he knows the story. Maddie's already dying. Like you can't see this, obviously, but Maddie's already like on the floor laughing at this. So, so this kid, they, they for Remembrance Day, a, a pretext to this story for my boss's kids' beaver group, they had a beaver outfit. Like you could dress like a beaver, and they would hand the suit around to kids, and they would take turns coming to the meetings dressed as the fucking beaver, right? So, at the leader of the group says we're going to the cenotaph for remembrance day thing like a part of the school please wear your beaver outfit so all the kids wore their 
fucking beaver uniforms except the one kid whose turn it was to have the real beaver uniform and he showed up and remembrance they dressed up like a fucking beaver like an actual <laughs> like beaver tail. like tail like, like a beaver costume to remembrance day at the cenotaph that so how fucking wild is that right where did you get the beaver outfit so that's what i said like they 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 would take turns taking this thing home and then show up at the next scout meeting or beaver okay. meeting as right, the right, beaver. Right, okay. So then when the leader said, hey, on Remembrance Day at your schools, wear your beaver outfits to the uh, cenotaph, oh. this kid showed okay, up in the beaver I'm, costume. Okay, I'm following now. Right? <laughs> okay. It took so a minute, but he got there. Give me a second. I got there. Okay, okay. Fast forward to Monday of this week, and the theme for our internal meetings was... <clears throat> like in paradise and back in high school me and my buddies we used to go to the sally ann <clears throat> during our lunch hour or whatever and buy the most ridiculous looking shirts like the ugliest Wait, looking shit a, a sally ann it's salvation, salvation army, army. Uh, and okay. we would buy i'm things here today <laughs> we would buy the most ridiculous shirts like the ugly, like a pink shirt with a fuzzy fucking toucan on it and then we would just put it on and wear it to school for the rest of the day just because it was ugly so I said to myself, okay, if these meetings this week are tropical themed, I'm going to buy the ugliest tropical shit you could buy at Value Village. And dude, I don't know hang on. if I got it here. I brought like this ugly shirt, right? So James <laughs> is showing us a white shirt with uh, black and blue looking palm trees, maybe. I think that's yeah, what that was. I got, I got this one. Well, and this looks like a Best Buy uniform. I don't know what he's got here. Macho, sir. So it's a, it's okay. So it's a blue shirt with white text that says Macho Man, and a mustache. But in between the Macho and Man, it's like an Iron Sheik mustache. <laughs> right. So I was gonna wear like this dumb clothing. So on Monday, I'm like, should I wear this stuff there? So I wore this tank top that had like uh, a rainbow bear with like a tropical drink. I found there but i wore it under like my normal button-up shirt right and i was going to change into the tropical stuff at work so when i walk in i have this bag full like i've got a lay from the dollar store i've got uh a cup a pineapple cup that i got from everything i'm like decked out i got this stupid like old school bray wide hat i found at valley valley village like a straw hat i have everything so i walk in i've got this bag and nobody is in any sort of outfit whatsoever because you're so, in a, like an adult setting no but in on in the virtual meetings the people in rhode island are all like they all have get-ups on but like we didn't like nobody just nobody bought in like i would have been the only one that bought in so i immediately head to my desk and shoved this bag full of stuff in my drawer it hasn't seen the light of day since it sat there and i'm gonna sneak it out when no one's looking and i don't know what i'm gonna do with all this shit now because i probably dropped a good 45 dollars at value village on this junk and i don't know if you know this you can't return shit to value village which is weird because it's already used so yeah that's my story i almost became the beaver kid <laughs> you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of have you ever seen the movie uh zach efron michael b jordan miles teller that awkward moment i love that movie it's truly great Anyway, so he's dating this girl and she has like a birthday party for herself. And she's like, oh, it's a dress up party. So he's like, all right, sweet. So he dresses up. Uh, he goes as a guy who's like sleeveless shirt, headband, like a rocker type with a giant 
dildo coming out and he's rocking out with his cock out, right? So he gets there and he's got like a six pack. He's got this dildo hanging out of his pants, but it's like a classy dress up party. So everyone's in like black tie and he's and whatever. And the, it's one of those moments in movies. I think we referenced this before where we talk about pre-laughing to a part that you know yeah. is coming. So I think it was basketball when you were talking about that. Yeah. yeah. So he walks up to the lady to meet her mom and he's just so embarrassed. And he's just like, it's it's awkward. And he stands there and the dildo accidentally goes into the dad's drink. He's like, it's a cocktail. And everyone just starts laughing. But it's actually a legitimately funny movie. So it just reminds me of that too. It's not available to stream anywhere on Canada. So, oh, no, yes, it is. it's on it's Prime. on Amazon. Oh, it's also on Plex for free. Yeah, I suggest you watch it. It's truly an enjoyable movie, mostly because I'm a big Miles Teller fan. And he's one of those guys where he's similar to Vince Vaughn, where it's his speed and his wit and his delivery, which how quickly he can kind of deliver those lines that makes him so funny. And he has the really good chemistry with um, Michael B. Jordan and Zac Efron in that movie. It's really good. Well, speaking of Michael B. Jordan, did oh, you have a chance to see Creed 3? No, and I'm dying to see it. I really want to see it because I love boxing and I love the Rocky movies. And I think the Creed movies have been fantastic. And to see this guy's directorial debut, especially because the fights are influenced by anime, I need to see this movie. Well, I did go see it on Sunday afternoon, I believe it was. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's getting really good reviews, so I'm not alone on this. It's probably not the best Creed movie, but I, I, I really liked it. Um, I'm, what I can say, spoiler free. This is like a minor spoiler, but it's not going to be like, it's not going to affect Maddie's uh, enjoyment in this movie at all. Um, it's more of like something I think James would appreciate. Um, the, so when they have like fights and stuff in the movie, before I think they were like branded ESPN fights. So they would have like the ESPN treatment and all the like the color scheme and the graphics and the commentators and um, Michael Buffer was the ring announcer and all these things. In this movie, there's a few fights and like some of them are on DAZN and some of them are on Showtime. So with the fights that are on DAZN, the play-by-play guy is Todd Grisham. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, but I suppose Todd Grisham, after uh, having a very brief stint in WWE, has gone on to actually be in real sports broadcasting. So that's awesome. So I heard on a radio show that this is, they were talking about the fact that like Showtime and DAZN were in the movie and they feel like this is going to be more prominent where you see things or products being levied that way or leveraged in a way that create like is world building, but is also marketing for that product. So I think you're going to see something like that more often. Oh, yeah, it's probably. it's basically product placement, right? It's and it, it's product placement that makes sense in the world that it exists. It's not just like I don't know, out of it's it's not like Wayne's World, right? Where all of a sudden they're uh, busting out a, a Pepsi for absolutely no reason. Um, <laughs> yes, and that's the choice of a new generation. <laughs> exactly. It's not it's not hand fisted like that. Where I felt like another show that did that well was The League, and I know we talk about that show all the time on this yeah. uh, podcast, but. It just makes sense of like a bunch of guys sitting around and drinking beer and then yeah they are happen to be drinking a bud light or whatever 
Like it's it's not in your face. It makes sense for them to be drinking. And if they are going to be drinking, why not make it something the show can make money off of, right? Yeah. No, I agree. Um, but also, so when it was showtime, James, can you guess who the play-by-play guy was? Michael Cole. Was it my dude Corey Erdman? It was not. Oh. Who else do you? Well, I don't know Mar- if you ever met Mar- him. Mar- I imagine Mar- you met him. Mar- it was Maronella. Yeah. yeah, I met him at the score once or twice. I met him. Uh, I was at I was at the top of a flight of stairs. He was at the bottom, and Arda went, "Hey, this is Maro." And I went, "Nice to meet you." And he went, "Nice to meet you." And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess I have more of a history with Maronella than um, when I was in college. I did a. I don't remember what it was, but some sort of assignment based on like your favorite broadcasters or whatever. So like I had to reach out to Maronello and like he like did an interview and like we like we talked and for like a half hour or whatever on the interview and that was like the assignment. And then later I ran into him at a Dragon Gate USA show and we were just chatting during an admission too. So anyways, Maro was always very nice to me. So it's nice to see um him in a fucking Hollywood movie. Like that was really cool. And, like I even waited till the credits and like there it is, like Maronello as himself and Todd Grisham as himself. Like that's just Really, really cool. Did you take a so, picture of it? Were you that guy? I did not take a picture of the credits, but also hey, though, shout out, shout out to Corey Erdman, who's a really good fucking boxing commentator in his own right. I don't know if you've ever heard Corey do his thing, but there, there's nobody in this world who knows, I think, more about sports, wrestling, boxing, like all of it, than Corey. Corey just, he's the man. So, you know what? I'm saving that for the end of the show. <laughs> Maybe you're just a little, uh, foreshadowing that's the word i'm looking for some foreshadowing there for james uh also this weekend i went to wwe's live event in toronto they were here on saturday night at the uh, old rico now the uh oh let me pull up to the screen here the uh, coca-cola coliseum that's uh where i don't know how was. you drink that with so much sugar yeah man like i can't even get through like a mini can of that shit anymore. dude they had only regular coke at work usually they stock the fridge with some coke zero i had three sips and poured the rest of that junk down the drain you feel it in your teeth like you get that film on your teeth and you can like grind it's gross that shit. it is 39 grams of sugar in one can that's Bro, i don't you, know if that's a lot or not that's very that's that's a lot it says there's a percentage next to it yeah, that should be like 80% of your sugar intake for the day. There's no, it says 39% of your daily intake. Per yeah, how much? Half, basically half of what you have okay. should have in glucose comes well, I know how percentages work, yes. 39%. <laughs> so, yeah, like, this is the thing is, that's just in that one can concentrated. Everything you eat and consume in a day has well, some sugars. kind of sugar content, right? So yeah. that in of itself, you're probably at like 150, 60% of your sugar intake every day. I don't think so. I mean, we don't have to go into my entire diet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually eat pretty lean in terms of like what my breakfast, lunch, and dinner are. But nevertheless, I did uh, go to the WWE event in Toronto, and I had a very large Coke when I was there. So uh, keep that in mind as well. I always like going to those just because. So for two reasons. Well, one more so than the other. The main reason I like going is just seeing like what fans are reacting to. Like you can watch Raw on television or SmackDown on television, but there's so much fake crowd noise pumped in and those like the audience of those shows i think are very different than the audience that goes to the live events 
I feel like there's more for a lack of a better term, hardcore wrestling fans that go to the TV, but like the live events is more like family oriented. You'll see a lot more kids in those shows. Yep. So I'm curious, like when someone comes to the ring, like who's getting a loud reaction and who's not, who are the people vibing with? Who are they not? And I think that's a better litmus test of who is making waves in the business and who isn't. I was actually very surprised at how over Charlotte was like, obviously everyone loves Charlotte. Everyone knows Charlotte, but like she just came back as a baby face. And I was wondering like, are people going to react to her as a babyface? And they absolutely did. Like, they were behind her. Even though, like, I'm looking at it with my eyes and knowing this is probably turning a different wave soon. But, no, it, it seems to be working out. And L.A. Knight, man, people are on that shit. They're saying the L.A. Knight thing, and they're saying yeah with them and all this. Like, he is a throwback to the Attitude Era of, like, that style of Well, dude, promo. he literally and, ripped his entire character or way of speaking from Stone Cold Steve Austin. The entire thing. Yeah. The cadence, the the style of voice, the 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 vests. It's the all vest. lifted. Yeah. <laughs> it's all lifted from Steve Austin. But, like, if you're going to steal from somebody. Yeah, why not steal from one of the most successful to ever do it, right? I would compare him to like if Steve Austin and Randy Orton had a baby because he has like a lot of the Austin mannerisms and like the way he speaks and like the best and whatever. But like in the ring, like he is, yeah, like his timing is perfect on like everything. So and the that's funny why thing I compare is he was, he was an OG NXT, like Florida. He was an FCW and they, they bailed on him and he went and did his thing and now he's back. And they probably wasted like a good decade of his career in best years not believing in him when he was younger. Christ, they almost wasted it again when they brought him in as a male model, right? So, anyways, that was my week. Uh, some boxing, some MMA. I, I guess I did watch the UFC pay-per-view. We can talk a bit more about that uh, later in the show. I suppose. Actually, I didn't put it in the lineup, so maybe we won't. Um, nevertheless, John Jones just destroys his opponents, and yeah. that's kind of uh, how John Jones does things. Maddie, what about you? I shoveled. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I shoveled lots of snow. You fucks live in a, like, buildings with heated driveways and covered parking. No, man. My ass is with the plebs. Out, out, out grinding it on the streets of the snow. Um, I shoveled four fucking times. From Friday night into Saturday morning. Because I'm not one of those people who was like, hey, I'm going to just let it happen. I'll wake up and I'll do it because when you check the weather, it's like Saturday morning by 11 o'clock, it's going to be five degrees. Once that shit starts melting, it is the heaviest fucking thing to shovel. That's how heart attacks happen. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm not doing this. Like I'm in good shape, like a relatively good shape, I would say. So I don't think it would affect me that bad, but it's just, I don't want to do that. So I was like, Hey, I would rather take half an hour each time I do it and just get it done. Then the two hours of exertion, it's going to take me to do it the once on the Saturday morning. So I went out there and I posted the picture in the other discord that we're in with a bunch of other friends and shit of what it looked like after my first shovel, I was wearing all black. I looked like Fosty, the fucking snowman. Well, you also found like the only things in your closet. That's not waterproof. Like you're just wearing a fucking cotton pair of sweatpants and a cotton hoodie this guy was probably drenched yeah no i had to change after for the second one so that one i went out at this was the timing i went out at about 8 30 for the first shovel i did about 10 o'clock for the second shovel 
And then I did 12.15 for the third. And then by the 12.15, it had started to taper off a bit and turn into kind of rain. So I was like, this is the one I'm going to salt because there's a strategy. You don't salt right away because the snow piles up so much it can't do anything. So then I salted the next morning watching the guy across the street from me. And I was like, should I go help him? Because he's like in his 40s, you know, 50s. Maybe I should go help this guy. I was like, no, he had his choice. He could have done what I did, but he didn't. So I just kind of watched. I was done in like Saturday morning in 20 minutes, just clearing up all the slushy, shitty snow so it didn't turn to ice. And then, yeah, by two o'clock, though, everything on the roads was melted. And it was pretty clear, except for my dad's driveway. And he wasn't happy. That's another story. I may have convinced him to buy a heated driveway next year. Have you actually fully decided on that? You're going to heat a driveway? So here's the thing. I was talking to my dad about it and I, he was like, I'm going to, you know, get a really good snowblower. And I was like, well, they're expensive. He's like, well, what do you mean? And he said, I said, well, if you get one, it'd be this. He's like, no, I want the one that drives itself. So essentially you just hold it. A self-propelled. Yeah. Yeah. And he just goes, it's like, if you spend like a little bit more, you could just get the coil tracks and get a new driveway out of the deal. He's like, well, what do you mean? And I showed him and I explained it to him and shit like that. And I was like, I had thought about this. He's like, well, what if we contact them and say, get a deal, yeah, get a deal, do two driveways. Will you, you know, cut a deal on it and shit like that. So he's thinking about it. It's percolating. So mm. I may do it because it'll be cheaper and he'll do it because then he just has to flick a switch and never have to worry about it again. Because Jim knows we went there on Saturday night. Like, I got my, I, got, I tried to, I tried to gun it and I got my car stuck. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like, he calls me when I'm on my way over and he's like, don't come in the driveway. Jim tried and got stuck. Yeah, I, had to, I had to put my dad in the driver's seat and do the, the old rock back and forth and push her out myself. But so, yeah, so that's uh that's what that's, that was pretty much my, the highlight of my weekend was shoveling a driveway on Friday into Saturday. And then Saturday saying, I don't want to see or do anything except lays my ass around. So so the thing with the self-propelled snowblowers, like my dad has one, which he's not even allowed to use anymore, but he has one and it's still like, you still have to drive the fucking thing. Like, even though it's propelling forward, yeah. like you have you to still push steer it. it and yeah. yeah. You still have to steer it and like shoot the snow somewhere. And then you have to like worry about where the fuck you're shooting the snow. And you got to like make sure your little like deal is shooting the right way. So you're not like covering your neighbor's <laughs> driveway the road, accidentally. Because apparently putting it on the, like putting it on the road's illegal. So you can't. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yes. Yeah. So if they see it, like if you get like um, a cop or someone who comes by and everything's clear, but in front of your driveway, there's a bunch of snow in the middle of the road, they'll take it you. It's very clear and obvious too. Yes. Of like the pattern of the snow that has been literally thrown from your driveway onto yeah. the residential street. Yeah, it's so... Matt, yeah, they just, don't my, need to see you in the act. They'll figure it out. Just neighbor, you just push your snow and do a hard right into your neighbor's part of the road and just be well, like, oh. Where would dad put the snow in a snowblower, Jim? That's what I'm saying, right? Like, well, you'd have to... He'd have to push it forward and then to the right onto the yard. Yeah. But like that's just so much extra work. Just pay the extra money and do the yeah. heated driveway, right? Whatever. Because I don't, we don't want him out there doing that either, right? Yeah, he's got, he's got a guy. He's got a guy. Yeah, but he's got um, a guy. It's funny. My neighbor has one of those 
uh, motorized shovel. So it's kind of like the snowblower, but it's a shovel-ish type of thing. Um, so it's like a few hundred. When you say motorized and, shovel, I just picture like a shovel that does like a jackhammer. It's just like... <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of how it is. It's just got like the blades though. And you just kind of <laughs> shovel like that and that's what it does. And it's um, it's electric. Anyway, so I see that dude on... Um, and it like it pushes the snow out kind of like a snowblower. And so like I see that dude on my security camera. And then I go out there like, better not put that shit on my driveway. And I said his name and... It's just like so thing that you see about in TV and movies. Like, don't fucking do that to my driveway, Jerry. And now I'm that guy. <laughs> Wasn't that from the Simpsons of Homer Simpson had like the plow business? She's like, don't scrape my asphalt. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Plow, that's my name. That name again is Mr. Plow. But plowing through to our next segment, we have to discuss the Maple Leafs trades that happened. Almost immediately after we stopped recording. I want, maybe not. Maybe the next day after we stopped recording. And boy, was I on to something. Hey, so if close. you joined us last week, as you should have, I posed a question to the boys. And I said, you know what? Looking at this Leafs roster, and I know everyone's throwing around the names. Kerfoot's got to go. And, you know, Justin Hall's got to go. These are the two most likely and obvious suggestions because a no one likes justin hall and b kerfoot's do a lot of money for what he provides and you know whatever um i pose the question listen if if a defenseman's going what about rasmus sandine and i gave a whole bunch of reasoning as to why i think rasmus sandine could potentially be on the trading block and as jim Cornette says wouldn't you know who won the pony Merely hours after that podcast, Rasmus Sandin was in fact traded. He was traded to the Washington Capitals for <laughs> Eric Gustafson and, and a first round pick. So let's not forget that as well. They also got a first round pick. It was um, Boston's first round pick, which is hilarious. So but nevertheless, <laughs> which is a hot. Yeah. So it, <laughs> we can't exactly say like, oh, that first round pick Dude. is so great because we literally, literally on this show just discussed. Three How years ago, that's literally three years ago, that's a second round pick because there was not Seattle. So <clears throat> that pick would have been a si- first, only, first pick in the second round. The only good thing about that pick is if for some reason, Boston's like that Tampa team of four years ago where they get swept by Columbus. Say if Boston plays somebody and they just get swept in the first round, that pick turns into like a top 23. So here's the thing. I don't know if that pick was entirely destined to stay here. And I still don't know that it stays here. Yeah, I, 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 I get where you're going with that because merely 20, 30 minutes later, the Maple Leafs then traded Pierre Engvall to the New York Islanders for a third round pick. And then at that point... <laughs> <laughs> he had that one ready. So then at that point, I guess two things were going through the heads of Maple Leafs fans. One was, oh my God, finally. It's happening. <laughs> the, draft on state, the draft on skates is gone. And also, okay, I understand now. They're going to package that third they just got for Engvall and that first that they just got for Rasmus Sandin, and they're going to move that elsewhere for something else to come back. And it would have made a lot of sense to bring in another forward because you figured, I was like, you know what? I love Luke Shen. 
I think everyone in this program loves Luke Shen. Maddie owns a Luke Shen jersey. We are team Luke Shen, and we wanted him back here. But looking at the roster as the trade deadline was approaching, you're saying, you know what? They just picked up Eric Gustafson. He's now like the eighth defenseman, for Christ's sake. Do they really need Luke Shen at this point? I was I was 100% assuming there is no chance Luke Shen is coming here because of what they just acquired and what the roster was looking like, unless Justin Hall got shipped out and whatever. But I still didn't wasn't convinced that was happening. And then like 20 minutes later, that third round pick gets shipped to the Vancouver Canucks for one Luke Shen. And even then, at that point, I, I, I still think that there was something else coming. And I think that first round pick was probably involved in something. I think they still needed a, a winger. And we're, we're seeing that now with Dude. the way this roster is being put together over the past few games, right? I'm not, I'm not convinced that that Shen deal couldn't have necessarily been the first, the third, Kerfoot and Hall for Besser and Shen. Because the money works, right? Like, I'm not well, entirely... Well, the money might work right now, but Besser is due 6.5 or 6.625 the next two years. So I'm just saying, like, right now the money would work, yes, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, so I'm not entirely convinced there, or that there wasn't something... I don't know, Adam Wilde was like, it's Demko. I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. But I'm not entirely convinced that another one of these deals wasn't bigger or there wasn't something else <clears throat> on the table that didn't get done in time. Uh, I know some people were saying... I, I know Lawson Krause's name popped up in in Arizona and Toronto, so I don't know if something was happening there. I mean, they were basically trading, I don't know, they were, they were trading staff members for picks and their mothers in Arizona. Yeah, contracts it, back too. It, it, to dude, the, people are calling them an, an embarrassing franchise. It's making me cough again. That's how bad it is. Um, just because they're, they're at the cap floor where people don't even play there. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I feel... I just don't see, like, I understand depth of defense. I don't see how Dubis went into the trade deadline going, I need to carry 10 defensemen. Like, if you think about the, the active defense, uh, the NHL, NHL capable defensemen on their roster, it's Morgan Riley, right? <coughs> TJ Brody, uh, Mark Giordano, Justin Hall, Luke Shen. Eric Gustafson, Timothy Lilgren, Jordy Ben, Victor Mete. Am no, I missing somebody? Mete is not going to be playing at all. No, I know. I'm just you're, saying you're on the for, roster. You're forgetting I, Connor Timmins. Connor Timmins. That's ten. That's ten guys who have played more than a hundred NHL games. Um, that's it's a lot of dudes. Did you say Luke Shen? Because I'm looking at a roster right I now. I did. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm looking at their current def defense on their NHL roster is nine guys. That's what I mean. And and that's not counting Mete, and that's not counting um, Ben. So it's eleven guys. So that's what I'm saying. Like maybe you missed McCabe. Yes, I did. Holy shit! That's eleven dudes. Yeah. That's that's a second defense like that. There's two teams. They have two teams that they can field with their defense at this point. 
Yeah. Right? I mean... And Muzzin. If you include Muzzin, who's not on the roster, right? Because he's injured. But, like, that's literally 12 defensemen. That's literally two sets of decor. Yeah. I just... I think they were probably trying to get rid of Justin Hall, to be honest. I think if something materialized and they weren't going to give him away. Like if someone was like, here's a six round pick, you know, they weren't just going to do that. But I do think that it was on the table somewhere saying, Hey, if you give us a third, we'll do this. And no one did it because it's a mix of both knowing that they were trying to get rid of him or looking to get rid of him as UFA and teams were probably hesitant to take on for that price at a third round pick, a UFA defenseman who isn't probably a top six guy. Well, right? he, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it, I don't, I don't think it made things work. I don't think it made things any better for Justin Hall's case, not being traded the performance, the next couple games after, I mean, he was oh, paired with right. Riley the immediately next game and they were atrocious. So, yeah, but I think the Riley thing was more just to see what you had with Brody and McCabe more than to see what you had with Riley and Hull. I think it's one of those things. To be honest, I don't even really think they give a shit about wins or losses for the rest of the year. Oh, I mean, me neither. Obviously it's it's clear as day. They don't. No, they their whole priority is all these new guys that have come in. Let's get them acclimated. Let's see what works in terms of defensive pairings. You know, your top six is set for or um for forwards so you're seeing what works in the bottom six and who from those guys if one's out of the lineup you can slot in that will work like the pontus homeburger and alex steves or something like that so that's all they give a shit about right now is seeing how that works now my big issue is timothy lilligren has been arguably one of your more consistent guys all season and he got scratched for two games. And the quote from Sheldon Keefe was about setting a standard and that there's a standard of play and he needs to, you know, and we've talked to him about that. And so how do you justify that? So when you have Justin Hole in the lineup, I was going to bring that up because I was going to say that, you know, all that stuff's well and good, but I think Sheldon Keefe's got to be really careful about how he's handling this internally with the dressing room. And I'm a big Sheldon Keefe guy, but I don't agree at all with how he's approached this on, on two occasions. First of all, the Lilligan thing is out. You're right. is absolutely bullshit. He's actually for the whole entire year. He's been one of their better defensemen. And to be honest, he's outplayed. He's outplayed their number one defenseman, uh, since that dude's returned. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not conjecture to say that the Leafs played better without Morgan Riley this year. And that's, I mean, I hope the guy finds his footing, but it's the eye test, dude, for that guy's games is, is bad. Like in the last game against Vancouver, two shorthanded goals. And one of them was directly his laziness when the puck was fired around the boards and he was supposed to stop it on the, on the loop around. And he tried to one arm it, let it go. And JT Miller was on a breakaway and that kind of shit just can't happen. Right. So yeah, to the, sit the Lilligren thing is weird because like Lilligren got banged up in the Edmonton game and then like he wasn't in the Calgary game. And I think the assumption for me and most people was that, oh, they're just giving him a rest because he got hurt. Right. But then Sheldon came out and said today that it was because of, I don't, well, he didn't specifically say it was because of this, but it was 
yeah, he wants to see like set a standard and all this bullshit. I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Like, but then he if he had come be... out and said Lilgren was banged up, so we gave him a bit of a rest so he can see what other guys have, no, that no, would make sense. But no he didn't say that. that. Like he no. he specifically said it's it was his play. Right, but then but then if he's going by that as the 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 standard, then I hate to say it, and like I'm not trying to be that guy. Morgan Riley needed to be the first guy that sits. Because in terms of play to expectation and a standard, since returning from injury, it's been well below what we need him to be. And we don't even need him to be... We just need him to be closer to a number one defenseman than he is a number two. Like, on that scale, he just needs to be closer. He doesn't need to be a top-end number one in this league. He just has to not be a number three. Do you know what I mean? So, I, I feel like... He's got to find his footing, and I think you need to just pair him with Brody. I I, I love the idea of Brody and McCabe as a shutdown, but I, I don't that I, on the PK. That's your PK pairing, like him and uh, McCabe. and then Gio and Lilligren as your second PKD pairing, and Riley and whoever as your number one um, defensive pairing. Like you said, Riley and Brody. It's just it reeks of Mike Babcock. This stupid bullshit that Mike Babcock had with some younger players. So to go on that, so the other point I was going to make, and we, I don't want to leave this entirely, but he then sends Michael Bunting to the fourth line for Alex Kerfoot, who he says has played better. May I remind you since the turn of the year and 27 games, Alex Kerfoot has one goal. Yeah, that one is a head scratcher too. I think, He's just trying to find something that works. And I guess so. a lot of the reason why this is happening is because of the injury to Ryan O'Reilly. And Tavares so, being... Is Tavares playing tonight? I don't think he is. He's, he, he's Tavares not. is not in the lineup tonight, no. Uh, Pointus Holmberg was called up. Alex Steves is also in the lineup tonight. Uh, Sam Lafferty is playing in the middle, which is weird. Considering you have, like, Nolachari and you have... Oh, it's Kerfoot, who could just fucking play center. But... Or... Willie Nylander. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, what I'm trying to say is, I think based on the issues that they've had with injuries out of nowhere, and plus uh, Luke Shen's wife, I believe, is expecting like very soon. So that's why Shen is not in the lineup tonight. And but I think he's trying to mix things up a bit to see if something is going to stick. Listen, Bunting has been good, but he's also not good at times. And I can see Sheldon's point of we need to see if someone else works up there because Bunting sometimes is not a useful player. Or yeah, he he's a, lot of, a liability. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of For times sure. he's going to hurt you. And on that point, the, again, I'm not... If you're going to... You can't come out and say that and have Morgan Riley go out there for every instance right now. John Cooper, best coach in the league, benched three of his stars for an entire period. No thank God stars, that the three stars, the, the three, three stars, stars on that team, right? And thank God because that Tampa is like spinning their wheels right now because so are the Maple Leafs and like, okay, great, right? right? <laughs> Everything's just so static, <laughs> yeah, right. But I don't, I don't, I don't think that it breeds good locker room juju if you're these guys and you're looking over there and every single puck is going by Morgan Riley, every single player is going by Morgan Riley. He hasn't got a point in this year. I don't think it feels like it's just, I don't I think it's good locker room. Come back to him. 
Pardon? On the power play. I see that. I live in fear of that. Every time they move that puck back to oh. Morgan Riley, for some reason, I always, I'm like, it's going over his stick or it's going under the heel or something like that. It just seems like every puck that has come back to him, he bobbles it or can't control it. And I feel like I can't, I feel like he's having trouble pivoting, which makes me think that maybe he's not exactly healthy. But it's just, it's, it's a tough watch right now. And I, I mean, again, it bears me no benefit to have Morgan Riley be not good on this team. We need him to be good. Well, we need him to be satisfactory. And right now it's, Average. yes. And right now it's, it's not. And it's, again, I don't look, you know, and you say bunting at times is a liability. Sure. Morgan Riley in the last 10 games is a liability almost every time he's on the ice. I would I look up this man's stats in terms of, I know plus minus kind of a joke, but I heard uh, they were talking on Overdrive with Mark Mathot about Morgan Riley, and they were saying that if you're his D partner, you're probably in his ear a little bit because you're taking minuses with him. Right? Like, if you're on the ice with Morgan Riley and he's eating negatives, like, so are you. So, I wouldn't be surprised if some people are like, you know, get your shit together. Clean that shit up. Right? I don't know if you guys know the answer to this, but I, I know the answer if you don't. Um, do you know who, like, what defenseman on the Maple Leafs has scored the most points this year? Timothy Lilligren. Nope. Hmm. It is Eric Gustafson. Well, oh, okay. I thought you meant stop. <laughs> right, but my point is, do you see a time where Eric Gustafson is now your quarterback on that power play? Yes. And Morgan Riley, maybe you shift him to a penalty killer only. Oh, I, I, he would be not on special teams at all. He'd be your number or, one or guy. As well, sure. Number one pairings, sure. You know, put him out there five on five as your number one defenseman, cool. But I would PP2, fine. PK2? You know, Fine. You know, Riley in his last 10 games has eight points. So, yeah, not bad, but four of them are on the power play. It is a minus six. The minus six doesn't help. But, like, you're not getting a plus for those power play points. So, like, that's, I guess, part of the reason there, too. But I guess my point is, like, if you decide to do something like that with Gustafson, which I don't think they're going to do, but, like, what does that say to Riley? And maybe that's something you need to say to him. But well, you're you're taking a guy who's making eight hundred thousand dollars and replacing him. Like we're taking you off this and we're putting in a guy who's not even making a million bucks. Well, Riley also just signed that fat contract for six years or seven years or whatever that kicks in next year, right? So eight million dollars. Yeah, seven, seven and a half per yes, but yes, it does kick in next year. Yeah, so he has he, to figure. He it definitely out. has to figure that shit out because whether it's the knee never fully healed and he's just trying to stick it out saying, Hey, I'm at 80% and they, maybe a doctor said, look, your risk of re-injuring it is not that high unless obviously it's the exact same thing. And until the off season where you've had a chance, you're probably not going to get it better than 85%. He's probably like, I can play through this then, or I might as well. But I don't know, man. It's just, it seems like if your hopes of the playoffs are hinging on a Morgan Riley being your number one defenseman. See, this is the thing where a lot of people are saying you need a number one defenseman to win in the playoffs. I mean, I kind of agree, but at the same time, it's would you rather have a number one and then, you know, a very adequate number two and then a bunch of number fours, or would you rather have a whole thing of number twos? 
I, mean, I feel like the Leafs are more along those lines of a whole yes. bunch of number twos, right? With Riley and Brody and McCabe and Lilligren Gio. and and Geo and Shen. Like, there's yeah, this defense isn't bad, and like, we're kind of picking holes at like what no this systemically, issue. mathematically, the Leafs are having an incredible defensive season. Um, well, it's because their forwards are playing better defense. They're right. coming down below the, below the hash marks. They're on the half wall better. Yeah. They're and a full a full year of Mark Giordano, a full you know scope of like a a healthy good Timothy Lilligren who's, who's like we said has been playing well. Um, I think yeah, yeah, and give credit give credit to guys like Yarncroke and Camp and Aston Reese who are helping from yeah, the forward side. Absolutely, of well. and we. I think that the defense is now built to give Tampa different looks. And let's not forget, Tampa did the same thing, right? Like something similar. They had guys that would come in. Shen came in and out of the lineup for Tampa in both of their cup runs and was utilized where needed. Now, do I think he plays a little more on this team to make up for some of their other faults? Yeah, I mean, the first game in, in Calgary, was it? He pasted a number of dudes. <laughs> it was great. You oh, know? He ran Kadri. Kadri made a play to the front of the net and kind of was coasting, thinking that no one was going to come at him. And then Shen just rode him right into the glass. And it was nice to see someone defend our players in the crease after the whistle. Normally, it's it's one guy there and everybody else abandons ship <laughs> and skates to the well, bench and leaves the one dude. So and, and McCabe, too, though. McCabe went yeah. right after Tyler Myers. Was it Tyler Myers he went after? Yeah. After he, he rocked uh, rocked Tavares. And I'll give credit where credit is due, too. Willie Nylander took a run at Tyler Myers right after that hit. So, well, But that's the I, thing. I would say that We've hit all, doesn't happen, though. If And not to say, oh, you don't want this to happen. But I think <clears> that because Shen's first shift, he was out there first shift of the game. And he dropped two or three guys in one shift. And yeah. not just little bumps and knock guys off. Like, in Vancouver? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, well, the funny thing is that was the fastest I've seen Tavares skate all year, and he got basted. Um, I, but, Tavares has been good. Like, we can't... Yeah. No, I'm just saying, like, he's, he's not a fast... Players. I'm saying he's not a fast skater. But he looked like he was at top flight on that play, and he got pasted. But uh, the thing about the Nylander piece is that I think you'll start to notice as the year winds down... With guys like Achari and Lafferty and and uh, Shen and McCabe and these guys who kind of take no shit, you'll start to see the. And my dad has always said this too. You'll start to see the rest of the team play bigger. Like the they're they'll start growing a set in, in other areas of the game because you know that somebody has your back. Like for the last two years, if you got into anything, who's got your back? Pure angle. Nope. Engvall, yeah, Engvall's got Kerfoot. Okay. <laughs> no, right? it's true, right? Now is if a guy gets like that, you have Shen, who's arguably one of the strongest and, you know, most gritty, tough guys in the league, is right there. McCabe's not shy to throw him around if he needs to. Achari isn't. Same Lafferty. Like, they'll grind it out. They may not fight the guy, but they will have a response on the other end of the ice. Well, um, we saw it earlier this year. And unfortunately, the guy was Giordano. And <laughs> like, that yeah. can't be the guy. Right. That, no, it can't be. Yeah. No. But they, like you, like I said, they have Shen now. And like Jim said, with McCabe and Lafferty and Achari, like some gamers, even Aston Reese, you know, that guy yep. can throw the body around and shove some guys around. Um, but like Jim said, is when you have guys in the lineup like that, 
you the rest of the guys can you know play a little bigger maybe have a little bit more confidence out there that like hey yeah maybe i'll get run but i know that guys will think twice about it because we have three guys behind us that will come right back at them unlike before and a perfect example is that and this was brought up uh a couple other places is pure engvall skated with matt martin on a line pure engvall has never looked better in his career because he had matt martin on his line with him knowing that no one was going to give him shit which to me says he was probably afraid a lot of, but Keith said that too he said we needed guys who were going to make the plays like on the boards and stuff you know and engvall was just never one of those guys that would you know and we talked about this all the time you watch him carry the puck into the zone he he curls he curls to the blue line net, right because he doesn't he doesn't want to engage um yeah. but he'll engage with with robocop matt martin watching you on oh, yeah. your line you know buddy i'd go out there with my dick hanging out if matt martin was on my line are you kidding right and telling guys to just eat it all the time if matt martin was on my line or like a milan lucci or ryan reeves 100 percent. it's like the kid in high school guys who's never played together when they're maple leafs like was matt martin and engvall like never on the same no. teams no marner marner, Ang- marner and engvall played on the same line marner and martin sorry played on the same line and they were like best buds but like yeah. it's like in high school where you're like the little guy jumping behind the big dude and you're like yeah yeah that's what i said <laughs> yeah we're gonna do something about it and the big guy's just standing there with his arms crossed right so michaels and diesel yeah exactly literally that's what it is one of the most frustrating things with pierre Engvall was all the tools were there he yeah. could skate like the wind he was six three six four six five whatever he was six six wasn't he? yeah like 220 pounds he had a heavy shot it, like a deceiving 14 pack shot. of abs right and <clears throat> It just, it was so frustrating because you're like, if this dude just was engaged and was not even needed to be the most physical guy, just, Hey, get into the corner. Hey, play the body, play the body. Hey, lean on a guy. You don't have to go out there and light guys up. Just be physical. Just make guys life difficult. That's all you had to do. And he would have been, honestly, he could have been a second line player. He could have been that second line winger they were looking for with John Tavares and William Nylander slash Mitch Marner, depending on the formation they went with. But no, the dude disappeared mentally. He just didn't care. And it's frustrating because you have a guy who's like Noel Achari, who's 5'9 and you know 200 pounds, who's going in there almost head down into the corners of the other team and saying, I don't give a shit who it is. I'm going into them. There was a shift in, I think it was the Calgary game, where the line of Achari, Lafferty, and was it Reese? I think it was. And yeah. they just, they hemmed Calgary in the zone for like a minute and a half. And those well, the, gonna... those are the difference makers too. Because it's not like they're hemming you in the zone the way a Matthews and a Marner does. They hem you by like hounding pucks, pressing you against the boards. Like, it's not just puck Blowing movement. the fuck out of you. Yes, they're just it's they're just pissing you off. And that shit, dude, playing the game for as long as I have, that shit A makes you really fucking tired. And B, it makes you like both physically and mentally. And then the other the flip side of it too is you go down the other end of the ice. Or sorry. Um you know, guys are looking over their shoulder. And and in a game of split second decisions and things like that, the all you need to do is second guess your 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 decision-making moments or whatever, and it's a scoring chance, right? So more guys that are, are going to play the body and, and lean into you, 
It's just going to make you think what happened. <laughs> so Mortar just scored an unreal shorty. Yeah, yeah, as we're recording this, uh, the Maple Leafs are playing the Devils, and <laughs> Mitch Marner just scored the filthiest goal ever. It was fantastic. So. Strips the defenseman, or strips the forward, guy, Timo Meyer of all guys, and then undresses the goal. And just, yeah. just waving at all the fucking Devils fans. <laughs> That's God, fantastic. Sorry, Jim. Go, go back no, to I was me. just saying, guys. Right, though. Yeah. Like you need to, you can't. You need to be able to force mistakes, especially in the playoffs, right? Well, here I'll say this, and not to like sound full of myself, because it's not like Jim and me played, you know, like OHL or shit like that. But we played decent level hockey. We played very different styles of hockey. I will say that Jim could always think the game better than I ever could. I I'll admit that. You know, he could process the game at a level I would never understand. The one thing that was different, though, is I was a much more physical player than Jimmy was infinitely more how often did i scare the shit out of guys on the other team yeah right and it wasn't even like i was going out there running guys from behind or making dirty hits dude stick lifts stick lifts become infinitely easier when you play like when you play that kind of game they just do just every every time a defenseman would get the puck even if it was a little late it was on the boards or if it was a guy who had his head down it would Maybe, you know, I would slightly glance or miss them, but, you know, I was catching them a little bit. And like you said, guys start making mistakes. They don't want it. They grab it and just throw the puck away. Yep. I would also like to just give a shout out to uh, Jake McCabe, who had number two (laughs) claimed. And then all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, when uh, Luke Shen got acquired, Shen made the uh, conversation happen between him and McCabe, and he's like, "Yeah, sure, just take the two. Who cares?" <laughs> what? Like, he wasn't like, sold on it or anything. I think McCabe has worn like five different numbers in his yeah. NHL career, so I don't think he was overly. Because I, I, I bet that's how the conversation went when McCabe came into the team. They're like, "All right, you can't have 19 because uh, Yarncrook has that, I think, and you can't have uh, what was he wearing six? I think. Well, that number's retired." So what number do you want? He's like, fuck it. Just give me the lowest number you have available. <laughs> okay, you can have two. Great. And he goes to bed. Has his afternoon nap. And then wakes up from his nap with a text from Luke Shen. He's like, hey, buddy. <laughs> We're on the same team now. Can I have your number two? Sure. That probably it was probably just a decent dinner downtown. Like Not like the watch or like a high-end item that you usually have to pay somebody for. It's probably just like, hey, buy me a nice steak dinner at Roos Chris. You know. Could be. It might be a little bit of tidy work too. Now that I'm looking at it, by Kyle Dubas, they have six NHL defensemen ready to go next year. If they don't do anything, they would yeah. have Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, Jake McCabe, Timothy Lilligren, Mark Giordano, and Connor Timmins. That's not bad. Ready, ready to go. If if nothing happened, they didn't re-sign anybody. Didn't make any trades. They could ice a half decent defense core next year. So I'm happy about that because it's going into, you know, obviously some question marks with some other guys on the roster, but here are the two things I have left remaining in terms of the Leafs or the trade deadline. One is, is it possible the Leafs did too much, too much roster turnover at the trade deadline? That's one question I had because maybe you know, you mess with the chemistry too much. Something that Boston was very cognizant of when they made some of their moves um, to not mess with team chemistry. 
And the other thing is, speaking of trading for defensemen, I genuinely shocked after 18 months of holding on and holding on and holding on the price at which the Ottawa Senators got Jacob Chikrin for is absolutely mind boggling. Well, it's embarrassing for Arizona. That's another reason why they're a clown organization. Well, keep in mind, they, they also didn't retain any money. So I think that's, I think a lot of people were, were trying to take advantage of Arizona and trying to get them to retain. And, uh, I think if they were going to retain, that's why the price was astronomical. So they were able to move on from so, Jacob Chikrin without holding yeah, on just to, to any. Add, just to add to that, currently the Arizona Coyotes have Nick Bukestad at four, uh, $450,000 retained. They have Patrick Kane at two point six retained. They have Oliver ekman Larson at 990000 retained. Plus, let's also not forget that Andrew Ladd and Shea Weber have never played a fucking game for the Arizona Coyotes and they're paying Weber seven point eight million dollars and Andrew Ladd five point five million dollars. So for are a they, team, are they also not paying team, Chris Pronger? Still, I don't see Pronger and, on the and list. And Pavel so Datsuk, no Datsuk either. Oh, maybe that's over. And Marion Hosa, maybe they're yeah, the alumni. Are those are all no longer on the list. Well, but. you also have to remember when guys are on LTIR. I believe the team, yes, is paying them, but it's coming through an insurance fund. So, like, Arizona isn't necessarily directly paying them out of their own pocket. It is coming from insurance. Sure, but they're paying an insurance premium on it. Right, but it's not. It's, it's, it's not in the millions of dollars, most likely. Right. Yeah. Sure. Well, but Arizona probably, doesn't have money anyway. That's the thing, right? I that's also my be... point. Is that Arizona is obviously in financial trouble where it's almost like the league is almost suggesting taking the team over again. Like, for, a, for financial reasons. So... To your point about Chikrin, I think the reason why they got what they got was because they are probably done with the idea of retaining salary. Right. Um, now, I know, interesting that three days before the trade deadline, the league's like, hey, stop doing this. We're going to review every trade. And you Another that thing too. that I called on this podcast last week where I was like, you know, the NHL might want to take a look at this because there's a lot of uh, chicanery going on here chicanery such a classic term bring it back but um yeah it's just it's i would say they probably should have just let that shit go on and then the day after the trade deadline maybe say that because you're kind of handcuffing teams that maybe already did it or not you're handcuffing teams that are currently negotiating and kind of giving an unfair advantage to teams that got ahead of it kind of thing right so unless this kind of loops it back to the maple leafs again and we were talking about how when they got that first round pick from Boston and we were saying maybe they're going to flip that in the Luke Shen deal for Besser, whomever else, right? Or maybe it would have went to Arizona for a Lawson Krauss. But I feel like once that memo came out from the NHL, they all of a sudden said, you know what, let's try to find room to activate uh, Matt Murray. Because there's a good chance that Matt Murray was always, not should say always, but was ready to come back for some time. But they were using the cap relief and saying, you know what, Matt, just take a few extra weeks and we're going to load up. And then once we come to the playoffs, you'll be activated and away we go. But I guess when the NHL sent out that memo, they're like, yeah, let's just uh, play well, it safe here and not make this deal. 
the good thing is, is they now have enough room to bring him back and they have enough room to sign Matthew Nyes to a contract when Frozen 4 is over. Yeah, they have one roster spot and exactly like 1.095 million in cap space. You're which close. is enough it's for 1.6 supposedly, but yeah, enough 1.06, for, yeah. Enough for ELC and a little yep. bit of coffee money. Yep. But oh my god. Yeah, but, the Devils have scored again. So it's yeah, now 32 it Devils. It's a bullshit goal. <laughs> but I mean, I will say that's some wizardry by Brandon Britton, man, to make this shit work like that. You know, yeah. in an era where trades are so hard to do because of the cap and the Leafs were able to turn over that much and get that much and still have room to bring back your goalie who makes four and a half million dollars and sign a guy. It's impressive. And just, there's something that we have not mentioned. We kind of mentioned briefly, but it's worth talking about at least a little bit. Uh, are you guys concerned at all about Ryan O'Reilly? Nope. The no, dude, the dude. The dude was off for the first half of the season with a broken foot, came back and scored an overtime winner for St. Louis. That dude's a gamer. Like, There's certain players that when they get hurt, you're like, shit, you're worried about them getting up to speed and coming back. The best thing is, is that it's going right into playoffs where that's his wheelhouse. Like that's Ryan O'Reilly hockey. It's a little slower. It's harder to play against. It's or harder to play in that it's tailor made for his type of play. So I'm not worried. If this was a guy like a Mitch Marner or a William Nylander, I'd be like, shit, because we've seen in the past, it's hard for them to get up to speed when they're missing time. But a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, not at all. The Johnny Goudreau had like a busted something and was back with surgery relatively quick. Kadri broke his thumb or whatever or something last year, and he was back within three games. I, I would imagine this is more load management for a guy who's already been injured this year. And, you know, is adjusting to coming to a new city, traveling on a Western swing. Like, I have a theory that it's probably not the finger that's keeping out that many weeks. I imagine, you know, because the NHL's already said they don't like the load, man load management thing. So, you put them on LTIR, eligible to return X date, and you're golden. I don't think it's... Yep. Actually, yeah, I think is he even March. on LTIR? It's... Yeah, he's on LTIR. He's eligible March 30th at the earliest. Ooh, which so would give if you, think you about just it actually, about there. two weeks left in the season for a comeback. So if you think Honestly, about it, actually, his cap hit right now... Is he's not making point, a lot against the cap anyways. He's 1.8 because most of his salary was retained. Right, but they only have one 063 left. Right. So somebody's going to have to go down. But... To be honest, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine defensemen well, up. Yeah, so that's also the issue. They have they're carrying a lot of defensemen, and they're also carrying extra players because of the Tavares situation. And right, and there's no roster limit now, so you can carry you can carry 400 players on your roster if you wanted. So yeah, so that 1.06 is actually a bit more, uh, depending on how uh, Tavares feels over the next couple of days. Also, too, they do paper transactions, too, where they'll, on paper, send a guy down to the Marlies to save the cap space and then just send another fax. Well, that's what I mean, right? Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too, I'm not worried no. about Ryan O'Reilly at all. Um, I got a question for you guys, though. What's up? Post-trade deadline. The East was a gong show. Literally was probably the arms race 
out of any NHL season of all time. In terms of one-sided, one conference over another. Mm-hmm. Is your perspective on the conference changed? Is anybody uh, infinitely better? Is anybody a favorite? I mean, if anything, Boston got better without taking anything away. They got Tyler Bertuzzi, for God's sakes, man. Well, Foligno like, and Hall could be yeah, out. They could, but that strikes me as a, they're going to be out and then come playoffs. Hey, look, they're game ready. They're ready yeah. to go. That's it strikes me as one of those. Um, I'm surprised Tampa did as little as they did with only Tanner Janot. Um, because they took a lot for Tanner Janot. <laughs> That's the thing; is they couldn't do anything else unless they right. took off their roster, right? And they weren't going to do that. Um, so I'm kind of shocked. I I would say where a lot of people would probably do Boston, Tampa, Toronto in terms of that kind of ranking. You may see a shift just with Tampa, or sorry, with Boston, Toronto, Tampa, just with on paper, just with what the Leafs did. Now, Carolina didn't do much, but I mean, Carolina looks really good. Jersey getting Timo Meyer, I mean, that's a good pickup, but I don't know if that really, that maybe buys them more time in the playoffs, but I don't think it necessarily catapults them into being top five. Well, Patty Kane. I mean, the Rangers look good, man. Tarasenko yeah. and I was going to say, the Rangers scare me, man. If Shesterkin oh. gets anywhere close to where he was last year, oh boy. I would say my... I would list my top five right now as Boston, and in no specific order outside of Boston being first. It'd be Boston, New York, Toronto, Tampa, Carolina, and... Jersey? Probably Jersey. That's you how think, I would look at the East. If and I if would rank the NHL in top five, it would be Boston, Boston, Boston. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there are 103 the fucking points, and Here's it's the March. thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Linus Allmark is having... We, I think we've talked about this. Like, like, he's leading all goalie stats. He has a goal, for fuck's sakes. He's going to win the Vesna. I think there's a real possibility this dude fucking chokes in the first mm-hmm. round. Like if they draw Pittsburgh, right? I, if I'm if if I'm Boston, that's the team I don't want to draw. I don't want to draw the Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't. I yeah. don't want to draw Sidney Crosby. I don't want to draw uh, Evgeny Malkin. Malkin I just Carter. I don't. Yeah, I'm I like mean, I'm sorry. Like here's the thing: to be that good in the season, it's easy when you start good and you kind of maintain it, and then you're on this run that you you kind of get in a groove and you feel good. But then when you finish the season with the with going into playoffs with the season you just had, historic. Like we haven't seen it since the 70s, even maybe before. And now you're expected to deliver that in the playoffs. That's a lot of pressure for a goalie that's never really been there. Yeah. And and how do you how do you stay engaged that being that team? And I know they've got the guys, they've got the horses, right? They've got the Bergerons, the Marchands, the Krejci's, the Pasternak's the Mac like these guys I think I would just find it real difficult to be like okay let's get her going like we're the best team of all time let's get her going like okay we're setting records it's not hyperbole to say best team of all time like the the best the most points scored by a team in NHL history is the 76 77 Montreal Canadiens and that was 80 games so maybe you can say okay it's a little different 
but that was 132 points. What's important is that it was an 825, 825 win percentage. Right now, the Boston Bruins have an 831 win percentage with 103 points. They are on pace to pass that number of 132 points by the Montreal Canadiens in 76-77 as the best regular season of all time. Right. We're seeing a lot of bests of all time between the Bruins and Connor McDavid's performance. Oh, yeah. Which I think we, we don't even have time to get into on the show, but like, and maybe we talk about that, maybe we dedicate some time to that next week. Like, he's he's got more... He's got twice as many points as some people in in like the top echelon. Ahead of the second guy, right? And like Drysaddle has ninety, and nobody nobody gives a shit about Drysaddle. Like it's it's insane. And you know what? I feel like Connor McDavid still gets. And like I was saying this to my brother, I don't like him. He just he seems like a wiener. But no, it feels like people just aren't talking about it. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's in Edmonton. I don't know. It just it feels like for the incredible season the man's having, it feels like it's still being underplayed. And maybe we talk about it next week to give it its due diligence. But yeah, a lot no, of I'm with you. The Connor McDavid has proven that he, in fact, is a treasure. And this episode is brought to you by Now Your Treasures. Now your treasures are purveyors of licensed fine art prints for movies, comics, TV, and video games. Sourced from galleries in the U.S. and U.K., which includes artists from all over the world. Visit Now Your Treasures on Instagram and send a DM 43.6 to receive 43% off any order. All orders are shipped with tracking and complimentary insurance. View the entire ever-expanding inventory at nowyourtreasures.ca or .com. That's N-O-W-Y-O-U-R-T-R-E-A-S-U-R-E-S dot C-A or .com. And remember, go to Now Your Treasures on Instagram and send a DM of 43.6 to receive 43% off any order. Right now, the Baltimore Ravens are also expecting 43% off the expected value of Lamar Jackson. It came out today because today was the deadline for franchise tags in the NFL. And it was actually really interesting the way it was spun by the Baltimore Ravens, where they sent out like, I don't want to say it was a press release, but I suppose it was a press release. It was like one of those Instagram images that they put out that was like signed by the team president, where the fuck. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically it just said that we have come to the agreement of franchise tagging Lamar Jackson. Which is true, but they're failing to acknowledge the fact that they use the non-exclusive franchise tag on them. So now, there's exclusive franchise tags and non-exclusive franchise tags. The non-exclusive franchise tag is for somewhere in the neighborhood of $32 million a season. Had they given him the exclusive franchise tag, it would have been $45 million a season. Somewhere in that neighborhood. It's 45 and 32, somewhere, give or take a million dollars here or there. I don't remember the exact numbers. The other major difference is that if you exclusive franchise tag them, it's a one-year deal, they're on your team, that's it, lock, stock, and barrel. But you got to pay them $45 million. With this non-exclusive franchise tag, it's kind of like the hockey restrictive free agent bullshit, where 
you have him under contract for a year, but he is now eligible to negotiate with every other team in the league. And if they offer him a contract and he agrees to it, the Ravens and the Ravens don't match that contract because they're given the opportunity to match it. They would acquire two first round picks from that team that he's agreed to a contract to. So this could be the last time we he Lamar Jackson could have already played his last game in the NFL as a Baltimore Raven. James. How much is the un, like uh, inexclusive or non-exclusive contract they gave him? Non-exclusive franchise tag. How much is that? $32 million. So he makes non-exclusive, he makes a million dollars more than Patrick Mahomes. Correct. So I don't know why this man's, number one, I don't know why that man's bitching about money. If he makes 45, he'd be making $3 million less than Daniel Jones. <laughs> who just said that is why he's making a big deal about it. Right. Danny so Dimes got the bag. D- Danny Dimes did get the bag. Um, before we keep going on this topic, can someone answer me um, what Justin Hall's stats are for this game? I don't know, but it's absolutely terrible. I'll but tell you, it's a minus three. It doesn't because Bunting just scores the yeah. target. He's but a minus Justin three. Justin Hall almost got burned on a breakaway because he, like he said, couldn't fucking pivot. Yeah, but I know. Anyway, uh, back to world, this, though. Yeah. L- Lamar world, Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Who? Who are you? No, who signs this man, and in what world does... And how much is it that Baltimore doesn't match, right? So, if the exclusive tag is at 44... 43 million you said 45 it's 45 but yeah so if the exclusive tag is 45 and he's making 33 now so one would have to believe that baltimore's uncomfortable with the 45 million dollar ceiling i think it's possible they're uncomfortable with the 35 million dollar ceiling right so some who so i guess what i'm saying is who out there is willing to pay for lamar jackson and who and how much is it going to be and would baltimore match that like the way i look at it do the raiders take a shot at lamar jackson do they have the picks i don't even know i mean there's a lot of teams there's a lot of teams right now that need a quarterback and that's the same reason why we're hearing about tom brady coming out of retirement who says he has a new cat and not going to do it but like we'll see how that goes I, I mean, I called on this program <laughs> like a month ago. That Tom Brady's going to play this. Did season. he say it's because he had a new cat? I, I don't know if that was a real tweet or not, but I saw like like a tweet and then like a response to a tweet and there's something like my daughter has a new cat and I don't have time or some shit like that. Yeah, that was real. He He's like, you think I have time? My daughter has a new kitten. That's funny. Um, to me, that says he might actually play. Um, that's his right. subliminal way of saying like, I'm thinking he's about going it. to the Carolina Panthers, you know, cat. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... <laughs> And then Derek Carr, I don't even know what Derek Carr is getting in New Orleans, which is funny because didn't he block a trade to New Orleans? I thought he did. I thought there was, I thought New Orleans was going to trade for him and he said, fuck that, which I'm assuming is because he knew they would pay him more than what his contract would be if he was dealt. But um, it's musical chairs right now in the, like we all predict. I mean, it was easy to predict. There were so many guys prepared to move and we're just starting to see it now i just i don't know i get well seattle's gonna offer gino some big money uh, i heard they're offering three, three years 107 right no, yeah they agreed on it he's yeah they gave it gino extension yeah so that's like 35 so, million a year yep um and then 
I just if if you, everything is like meritocracy kind of in the NFL, in what world are you Lamar Jackson to think that you deserve more than Patrick Mahomes or in Aaron Rodgers? Well, or you for the back to back it's like you said, because fucking Danny Dimes is getting forty eight million. No, I know, but it's I don't know what world that he thinks he deserves that too. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting, like the like you said, is with all the shifting in the NHL and the arms race in the East. To see this much of a quarterback carousel is kind of unreal. What about the Bucks? I mean, they go Lamar, Miami. So I'm I mean, looking at uh, ESPN put together a, a pretty good article about this today of like where they think Lamar Jackson is going to end up. It's by Bill Barnwell, and I, I suggest uh, taking a look at it later when you have a chance. And my browser is now frozen, but nevertheless, I think the top uh, choice that bill suggested was that it was the falcons is number one and the panthers were number two and those are both teams that are in desperate need of a quarterback if you look at the panthers specifically they're picking the draft as like ninth or something like that so it's probably too low for them to nail a franchise quarterback in the draft so but not too low to to land a weapon to surround jackson with but now, they're I'm not, not sure be about competitive. that first round pick if that one has to go to Baltimore or with later ones. So oh, there's true. also that to consider, right? But there's all like, and if you're Lamar, like you're gonna want to be competitive. And I don't know that. I don't know that you take. Well, I guess maybe, maybe not, right? I don't know. Like, would you, I don't. I don't. I, who knows, right? Some of these guys, money motivates them more than a winning team, right? And if Carolina's got nice weather, he's been holding out this long for a new deal with Baltimore. I think he might be more driven by money than by a winning team. Now that's not like Baltimore did the best they could to keep the guy. Like they didn't exactly surround him with weapons at all. In no. fact, <laughs> it's actually quite the opposite. The fact they they were, they were, looks like him. they were driving him into the ground is what it looks like. Right? Like, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's just, it's just so, such a crapshoot. I think you have to, I think Lamar's got to wait for other dominoes to fall. I feel like, and someone will get right, desperate. And, that's a good point. So the the top three that he has listed here on ESPN, uh, Atlanta Falcons, then number two, the Carolina Panthers, and then number three is the New York Jets. Now, the New York Jets have also been linked. Mainly, you heard it here first on this program months ago, and I threw out Aaron Rodgers is going to the Jets. And it looks like um, the rest of the NFL has caught up and they started to listen to our podcast wow. and they figured out. That solar, he solar has ideas. it's been reported that he is talking to them like they're in conversations now apparently they were in on Derek Carr and Derek Carr was leaning towards the Jets but I think I don't think they were going to I don't think that what, what's Derek Carr I asked what's Derek Carr getting from the Saints I'll take a look but I don't know what I don't know if the Jets were prepared to pay Derek Carr what he got from New Orleans Cause like, well, and especially with the Jets, if you're thinking like, if you're bringing in a quarterback, I don't know if the Jets, and you guys know the Jets way more than I do, I don't think the Jets are looking at this as like a long-term solution. I feel no. like the quarterback they're bringing in is a stopgap until you are comfortable with Zach Wilson or maybe someone else. So he's getting it's, four years, $150 million. Yeah. So it's for the Jets, it's someone to come in show Zach Wilson how to play, how to be a pro, learn Zach Wilson can learn from two years while being competitive so that you can do a handoff similar to the Favre to Rodgers. It's going to be a, the the goal would be Rodgers to Wilson. 
Well, yeah, because I mean, um, I think you could, I think you could make a case that if Rogers, and again, this, it sounds so dumb because they've been so bad for so long, but if in the next two years Rogers somehow leads the Jets to a Super Bowl, it's not outside the realm of possibility that he hands the keys over, and they they run it back in the next five years, right? Because a lot of those guys on that team are young as fuck, right? So. If Rodgers can lead them to one, he basically sets up that franchise for the next decade, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you you bring a winning mentality to that group of young people. Like, look at look at the look at the Chiefs. Yeah. So you said Derek Carr was one fifty over four. Yeah, he's making thirty seven and a half a year, which is more than Lamar Jackson. Right, which is significantly less so, than Danny Dimes. <laughs> but that would make sense. Like, if you told me, like, Daniel Jones or Derek Carr, who would you rather have your, on your team right now and who should be making more money? After last I'd season, maybe say, Daniel Jones? I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably yeah. say Daniel Jones is worth a little bit more and I would He's rather younger. have Daniel Jones than Derek Carr. He had a really good season, like underrated season. But then you asked me, who do you want on your team, Daniel Jones or Lamar Jackson? I think all day I'm going Lamar Jackson. But yeah. again, that depends on your offensive structure and that depends on what other pieces you have and how they work See, with Daniel your Jones, offense. But. Daniel Jones and Lamar Jackson also has suffered very similar fates in that they weren't surrounded by a ton of tools. I mean, Jones was protected to a degree by Saquon Barkley, but outside of that, it's not like he had... We talked about this. It's not like he had monstrous wide-out threats or or anything like that and so yeah i remember you asking like who their their best wide receiver was that season i had to look it up i couldn't even remember who it was and like i don't remember this moment either like so it wasn't like there's standout wide receivers in to be bombing the ball to right right so it i don't know man as a jets fan i'm stoked because we're getting someone um it's just like i said i think if you're lamar you you wait a little bit if it's about money for you wait till someone's a little panicky you don't want to wait till the end because then they know you don't want to be the last person waiting for a dance because they know that you need somewhere to get to get paid right or you're going to end up taking that 35 million right but you don't want to be signing early because you might leave money on the table i think he he waits for two more guys to sign set a little bit of a market let some teams get uncomfortable with who's left and let him be the bell of the ball. And I think that's what he'll do. Like if you let a Garoppolo go and then a rot, like then you, then you can start putting your price up. But yeah, like I think one guy goes, then he can, he can get out there. Cause if car is gone, yeah, then there, there probably just have to be some leaves that fall because yeah, like Garoppolo is a great point because right now, if you look at the Raiders, the only quarterback they have like under contract right now is some dude named Chase Garber is like the only one quarterback that the Raiders have under contract. Where right do now. They so draft? Obviously they're getting somebody. Oh yeah. The draft, I think the top like two or three, two, two or three quarterbacks are in like the top five consideration, but, and obviously that will change things for some teams who are looking for a quarterback. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers may be traded. But Aaron Rodgers is traded. Then all of a sudden, Green Bay needs a quarterback. And, sure, Tom Brady may come back. But if Tom Brady comes back, I don't see him going back to the Bucks. He probably ends up with the Dolphins. And then 
yeah. maybe that creates no. a scenario where Tua is moved. I don't think they no. would do that, but Tua well, would be similar to Rogers going to the Jets with Brady going to the Dolphins. It's a stopgap. Here's yeah. the thing: the Bears have two picks in the top bunch, right? I imagine the the Bears are gonna the Bears are gonna move those picks down. I, they don't need a quarterback, and if you're not taking one of Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or was it Anthony Richardson? You're not he, like you don't need those picks if you're the Bears, right? So you trade down, you get assets, and if you're the Raiders, maybe you get in on one of those picks, and you can take one of those three quarterbacks depending on where they fall. Although, depending on who the Raiders trade or the Bears trade the first one to, I imagine Bryce Young's going first overall. So. It won't be Bryce Young, the Raiders, unless they trade for the first overall pick. It would be wild if it was the Bears. Because consider this, and I don't think this will happen, but it's not impossible. So the Bears have a shitload of picks. So paying the two first-round picks to Baltimore for Lamar Jackson is nothing. They could lock up Lamar Jackson long-term. And they still have more picks to build around. And then they, would, they wouldn't need Justin Fields. And good Lord, would they get a haul for Justin Fields if they were to trade him to the Raiders. It's actually an interesting to proposition. Now, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but like maybe it's possible. Like They give up a couple of the extra picks they have to get Lamar Jackson. They now no longer need Justin Fields. Fields goes out. They get a shitload of p- picks back for Fields. Fields, and now they're in the same position. They have their uh, franchise quarterback locked up for multiple years, and you start building around Lamar, and the offense wouldn't be that different from going from Fields to Lamar. So, I don't know, just throwing that option out there, it's probably an unlikely scenario. I think the most likely scenario for Lamar Jackson is probably the Panthers, but this is possible. Yeah. We will see. Uh, we will see indeed. One last, actually, uh, two last things, uh, because I want to talk a bit about AEW Revolution, but very minor things I want to talk about that. Um, World Baseball Classic starts today. And by the time you hear this podcast, Dominican. it would already have started. Yeah, the Dominican Netherlands? Is that the game? I Dude. think so. But I mean, I also just mean Dominicans are going to win. I don't, that's oh, the thing. Okay. I just don't care because it's so, it's probably more top heavy than Canada and hockey like it's just it's egregious how heavy the the Dominicans are in terms of how good those players are like it's, it's yeah, the, the opening game is Cuba Netherlands for the record yeah so the drop off like in hockey you have Canada who's clearly at the top like I mean obviously there's times where other teams beat them or come close or whatever but over the past 20 years Canada's been by far the best you know, nation for hockey when it's best on best. Now, <clears throat> you have the Americans who are very good. You have the Swedes who are very good. The Russians who are very good. Um, you have all these teams internationally in hockey who are very good that, you know, will beat Canada in round robin game or every now and then. You know what I mean? But the stark drop-off from the Dominicans to everyone else. Like, even to the U.S. Yes. like. A lot of people are like, well, the U.S. has this and this. Like, a lot of the players that people think are American are actually Dominican <laughs> or Cuban. 
right? Like there's a lot of these guys, you're just, you've seen them so long on the Yankees, on the Red Sox, on the Giants and shit like that, that it's, you start to associate them with, oh, they must be, you know, American and shit like that. But I just, I, I think the Cubans, like the best example of the Cubans that I, or sorry, the Dominicans that I can think of, and I believe it was Dominicans, of how much better they are is I think in the last World Baseball Classic, where it was the final out, and there's that video, one sec, where the guy, the ball's coming to him, and he not even looks, and not even to catch the ball, just puts his glove out, turns his head, points to the pitcher with a smile, and points <laughs> at him for the out, because they knew it was game, and he didn't even look at the ball coming to his glove. Yeah, like, It's just one of those things, they're just... It, it's not the comparable is not even the Americans in basketball to everyone else because Spain does really good in basketball. And, Serbia now, yeah, you know, yeah, and Canada is decent in basketball, and Ar- Argentina is pretty good in basketball. So it's just, I don't know, it's weird. It's just like it'll be interesting. Like I'm interested because we rarely get to see a best on best in baseball. Other sports we see it fairly often, but we never see it with baseball. So. So the Dominican obviously is now missing Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who uh, pulled out of the tournament due to the knee inflammation that he suffered in a spring training game with the Blue Jays. Spring training is too long, by the way. It is pretty long. But if you look at just the lineup that I'm just going from like positionally, I don't know what their lineup's going to be one through nine, but you have Gary Sanchez. This is Dominican. You have Gary Sanchez. You have Willie Adamas. Uh, in the infield, you have Rafael Devers in the infield. You have Hunter Franco in the infield. Uh, Manny Machado. That's probably your four. But then you also have Ketel Marte and Gene Segura. Dude, in the Jeremy well. Pena is on the bench. Yes, Jeremy Pena will be on the bench. As well as Robinson Cano, who I think is just there as a mascot at this point. Their outfield is Teoscar Hernandez, Eloy Jimenez, J-Rod, <laughs> and Juan Soto. And they have Nelson Cruz as a DH. Like the fact that you have a team that has J Rod, Soto, and Machado and Franco, like endeavors, like this team is stupid. They're gonna they're gonna mash. It's gonna be yard all game. But it's but, also you know defense. Yeah, they're good defense. at it doesn't matter. They win every game like 15 to nothing. But they're good at everything. That's the problem. But the US actually does look pretty good with with JT over to Muto, you'll have Pete Alonzo, you have Timmy Anderson, uh, Nolan Arenado, and you got Goldie on the bench, and you got Trey Turner as well. So, like, their infield is great. In the outfield, you got Mookie Betts and Mike Trout. Then it, it drops off a bit. Then you're dealing with, like, Kyle Schwarber or, like, Cedric Mullins or something. But between Betts not and Trout and Alonzo. It's not the same. Arenado, Jeff McNeil at second base. It's not the same. Bobby Witt Jr. off the bench. He's no. He's great. No Jeremy Pena. It's not the same. It's not. But I'm just saying, like, it's not like they're going to be a pushover. Listen, um, li- like historically, like there's always other teams like who do you Puerto want? Rico or Venezuela Cedric that Mullins or Juan? Who do you want? Cedric Mullins or Juan Soto? Well, obviously, I want Juan Soto. There you go. It's not even a. They're yeah. gonna beat the U.S. fifteen nothing. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch just like something different at this time of year for baseball. But like, I I don't think there's anybody in the world who you know watches baseball that thinks the Dominicans aren't winning. 
I'm actually really interested to see Puerto Rico, mainly because they all dye their hair blonde. But other <laughs> than that, Jose Barrios, I think, is going to be their like number one starting pitcher. So that will be interesting to see. Of, isn't Stroman on Cuba too? Or Stroman is on Puerto Rico. Uh, I don't know. if Take your pick. We can Stroman and Barrios. So who's going to be the the number one? And maybe there's someone else I'm missing that I'm not thinking of who can probably take that number one spot. But nevertheless, like Barrios is going to pitch in some high leverage situations, and it's going to be important for him to show what he can do. And I think it's a fantastic opportunity for him to get his game back to play some important baseball before the season starts. Yo, real talk, the Cuban roster isn't that good. Of course not. Yeah, Lou Bob, <laughs> Cespedes. Okay. Cespedes is alive? Yeah. I could have seen him play in the KBL when I was in Korea. <laughs> Cespedes oh is actually older than I am. He's yeah, he's 37 years old. Yeah. yeah, but like in baseball, that's like that's ancient. Yeah, no, it's not yeah. that bad in baseball. I no, mean... never used to be. It is now. I think it is Jim now. Tomei was the last good thirty-seven-year-old. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't know uh, what's his name. Um, dude from the Jays, the one year uh, now in Texas. Fucking uh, his name's on the tip of my tongue. Second baseman, Marcus Semyon. Yeah, he was like 35, 36 when he was here. I actually own a uh, new blue Marcus Semyon jersey. You would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the action at the World Baseball Classic begins uh, today, and it's going to run all week and in for the next couple of weeks at least. And I'm interested to watch it at least. I mean, it's baseball, and it's yeah. competitive baseball, and I, and it's and there's I don't know, there's days when there's nothing on TV, and I'm I'm very okay with watching baseball. Speaking of stuff that uh, I'm okay with watching. This past Sunday night was AEW Revolution. And James, Maddie, I have figured out the hack of AEW. You just don't watch to the end? <laughs> Tits and ass? You just don't watch to the Sorry. end? Sorry, say it again, James. I think you nailed it. Skip the first two hours? <laughs> That's exactly what I did. So um, I, I don't know if I said on this show before, I think I hypothesized and said I may start doing this in the future, but I actually did it this week. And I had a significantly better time watching this show than I ever would have. I said, going forward, I'm going to treat AEW pay-per-views like I treat UFC pay-per-views. UFC cards start at like 7 o'clock in the, in the evening. No one watches the prelims, but the prelims are available on TSN, even though I fucking hate Bell Media and fuck them. But like the prelims are available on, on television, and then the pay-per-view starts from 10 o'clock till midnight or whatever. So I said, you know what? I'm going to treat AEW like UFC. And I am not going to watch the show at 8 o'clock. I will tune in at 10 p.m. And yeah, I tuned in. At, I tuned. And that's another problem. It's fucking Sunday. But like, anyways, tuned in at 10 p.m. I saw Samoa Joe versus Wardlow. And it was fine. There was a, a, a nonsensical four tag team match. And it was whatever. And then it was the Iron Man match with uh, Danielson and MJF, which was incredible. And that was it. And I was happy. And I went to bed at like 11.45 or whatever it was. And I had a hell of an hour and 45 minutes. That's too late, man. I didn't, well, I didn't watch it. It's still I, too late. Sure. I didn't watch it because I still can't. Fucking, they gave... Those morons at the Wrestling Observer gave Tony Khan Booker of the Year. 
Like some indie dude could have won Booker of the Year over Tony. Like, okay, it's that's just bank account of the year, right? Like, what 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 is what is a Booker? It's those guys, he just books matches. He just pulls them out of a hat. <clears throat> There's no rhyme or reason. It's just somebody wants to see this match, so they so they make it happen somehow, which I guess is fine. But that was the Smash Wrestling model. <laughs> The, the Wrestling Observer Awards and the Wrestling Observer in general is kind of a joke at this point. And uh, listen, I, I appreciate the work Uncle Dave has done over his life. And I appreciate that yeah. there is an account. There is an account and a reference of a lot of historical wrestling because of Uncle Dave. But yeah, he's starting to go crazy, I think. And it's starting to be very clear in the fact that Tony Khan was given Booker of the Year. When on the other channel, the bloodline is the fucking greatest wrestling angle we've ever seen in our lives. That is paying off in so many different ways and Still has spun off. so many different stories. Last night, it paid off again. Like it paid again. off again. Like how many payoffs do you have? I can't believe it. How many payoffs can you have in a storyline? And it's now it's now at the point where <clears throat> I know we're leaving Maddie out of this for a minute, but when you have <laughs> when you have you had Sammy turn on Roman, right? And then Jay leaves, right? And KO comes and 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 helps him just survive, right? And then KO doesn't want to help him. So you think he might have Jay. But then Jay's like, nah, fuck you. So now now Sammy is basically alone. Right? And the, the cool thing is they took Sammy from this guy who had everybody. Right? He had Roman. He had Jimmy and Jay. He had Solo. He had everybody. And now he's alone. Like, legitimately alone. He doesn't have Jay. He doesn't have Jimmy. He doesn't have KO. He, he's alone. Which is an incredible journey journey to take somebody from having the the backing of the most powerful faction in your company to nothing and not even his best friend of years he has nothing to show for it which is incredible and then who ended up coming to sammy's rescue well cody and just like the lyrics of his song says <laughs> there's more than one royal family in wrestling yeah, right and to like to go from the bloodline and then now cody has kind of joined this fight but Man, cody does cody's not so doing it levels. for but he's cody's not doing it for sammy right cody's Probably doing not. it for for cody sure right and that's another way you can spin this and that's what i'm saying of why it's ridiculous that tony khan was named booker of the year because but what Triple H has done here is incredible. But now, literally two weeks ago, we went from, well, how are they going to do KO and Sammy versus the Usos? And now you can. Now there's a path to that, right? And it's going to be... And they could even go to the last minute. They could even go to where Sammy is by himself against the Usos. And it's 30 seconds to 45 seconds of dead silence, the crowd losing their mind. And then KO's music hits, and WrestleMania just goes fucking wild, and then they just brawl. Like it would be absolutely incredible if that's if that's how they decided to do it. 
I would love to add one more guy to this, and I don't know. I don't know how you do it, and I'm sure we can. Another day, you and I can brainstorm this, but I don't know if it's AJ Styles or somebody. But I want to get Solo involved too. So if you had like the entire bloodline minus Roman against Sammy and two partners of his choosing, if you do him and Kevin, or maybe it's Jay White or like whatever, like just find a way to put one more guy in there to also get a rub into this program. I think it would be beneficial to get all of them in there, but. I think, I think, Maybe to be honest, I think that, that only benefits Solo. And I don't know that he needs any extra. Like, I think he's on such a trajectory right now that he doesn't... Like, he's going to be a very important piece of that company for a long time. Well, I think, yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think Solo could very well be everyone's favorite part of the show going forward. But right now, everyone's favorite part of the show is shoutouts. That's right. It's everyone's favorite segment of the week. It is time for shoutouts. And it's everyone's favorite segment of the week because it is a segment where we get to hear Maven's famous entrance music that everyone what if he's the third remembers man? fondly. He's the third man. <laughs> That's it. We it's nailed KO. it. KO Sammy. It's going to be the bloodline against Sammy, yeah. Kevin, and Maven. WrestleMania, it's just. Oh, I was going to play it again, but it doesn't going to work. Because it's all the way in the middle, I forgot. Yeah, it goes from the top. It's just tears for fears <laughs> happens, and they're like, who is it? Who is it? <laughs> they have to wait, <laughs> and then it's Maven. Yeah, he He's started great. wrestling again, so at least I've seen him on some independent shows, so you never know. Listen, maybe everybody gets appearance. hungry for a hot dog and a <laughs> shake. <laughs> so. Oh, man, okay. Which is so crazy when you think shot, that hot dogs... I already, I already mentioned... Uh, this person at the beginning of the show, but I feel like it's worth mentioning again. My shout out goes to Mauro Nello, who appeared in the Hollywood film Creed 3 this past that opened this past weekend. Mauro Nello was always good to me when I needed his assistance, and he is probably, in my opinion at least, the best sports broad best combat sports broadcaster on the planet today. And I so badly hope that now that Triple H is fully in charge of WWE, at least so we think. Um, that Maronella may find his way back to WWE because my goodness, if you go back and listen to or watch any of those like NXT matches from like 2019, 2018, and you hear Maro calling those shows, it just or even the Cruiserweight Classic, which I guess would have been Maro's like one of his bigger debuts in WWE. I, I think he might have been doing SmackDown at the same time in this era, but him and Danielson calling the Cruiserweight Classic was to me, peak WWE of what this product needs to be in the future. And they got away from it and they didn't they didn't follow that path at all. But man, if you have the chance, go back and watch Cruiserweight Classic and just how that show was presented and produced and it was done like a sports broadcast and Morrow was the play-by-play guy. It was it was incredible. So my shout out goes to Morrow Ranella. Maddie. James. Oh, Maddie. Yeah, okay. Jim, Maddie. Jim, go ahead. Uh, my shout out is for the Toronto Raptors. Man, they gutted out a game last night that they really should have won and uh you know shout out to scotty barnes for <laughs> mouthing off to the refs like like all of us athletes have done at one point in time uh they got they got the shitty end of the stick in that game i thought i don't know if the refs were cheating like scotty said um 
He said under his breath something like, y'all are cheating. Um, but <laughs> the, the Raptors got some shitty end of some calls, and I guess that's what happens when you're kind of a younger team and you got the MVP, two-time reigning MVP of Jokic on the other side, is you don't, probably don't get those calls, especially you know being the away team too. So, But <clears throat> they played really well, and since Jakob Pertl's been on board, like I said, they get a true big. They'll be good again. And they're uh, they're probably going to march their way into the playoffs, or at least the play-in. So, shout out to those guys for gutting it out. Nice. And honestly, I don't really have a shout out this week, so I would take this one to be Austin Matthews for scoring a game winner in a beauty fake out by Michael Bunting to almost Mario Lemieux it, and the pass was coming to him, and he just opened his legs. Let it go right to Matthews for the game winner with like a minute and a half left. So I'm gonna have to watch those highlights. It was actually pretty good. I would like to point out as I'm rolling through my list. Um, back in episode 31, my shout out was Maronello. <laughs> so I'm gonna say my shout out is also Todd Grisham, who was a guy who came into WWE and was made to be a fool. And wasn't given the opportunity to be like an actual play-by-play guy, and he had to be like a WWE announcer. And now he's gone on to have an actually really good broadcasting career. So also shout out to Todd. Grisham. Listen, as long as he's not Todd Pettengill. Hey man, don't be, don't be hating on Todd Pettengill. That guy was awesome. Okay, I know he was the first face I ever saw in wrestling. If you think about it, because I I I got into wrestling with the 1995 Survivor Series, which was Taker and Yoko in the casket match with mm. Chuck Norris. Or was that 94? That sounds like 94 to me. I think 95 <clears throat> Survivor Series was Brett and Sid? Diesel. Diesel? No, um, no, 90, 95 was Bob Backlund. No, hang on. Oh. No, Bob Backlund would have won the title from Bret Hart in 1994. Or 93. No, because 95 was also... No, the you're right. 94 Survivor Series was the, the casket match. So, or the... Yeah, with uh, Chuck Norris. So, Todd Pennington was the first guy I saw because he opened... <clears throat> Todd Pettengill opened the show and my family friends of ours bootlegged it on their bootleg pay-per-view so the countdown was a part of the tape they recorded and the first voice and guy I heard it saw was Todd Pettengill so actually you know what there you go shout out Todd Pettengill too why not fuck it uh, Survivor Series 1995 the main event was Bret Hart over Diesel in 24 minutes oh, and no disqualification match for the WWE Championship my brain sometimes <laughs> when it comes to professional wrestling is ridiculous you know what? You know what really bothers me? That the on-demand version of WWE Network is like non-existent here anymore. Like I Are you talking about what's available on your cable television box yeah, or whatever? Are, well, is there an, a version where I can go look up old shit again? Is it through Peacock? Yeah. No, you can still go to like watch.wwe.com and then like log into the network with your television credentials. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't also, know that. Wasn't wasn't the 95 Survivor Series right where now. Ahmed Johnson lifted up Psycho Sid for a powerbomb and Sid shit his pants? No, that was uh, I don't WrestleMania. Know if Sid that was shit WrestleMania. His pants or not. Nope, that was WrestleMania 13 with The Undertaker. Was, okay. Yeah, Sid was very sick. Oh, yes. Okay, I remember that story now. Uh, but Ahmed Johnson and Psycho Sid were a part of Survivor Series 95, but that was they were on the same team. So that wouldn't oh. have made sense. How do I log I just, in with my TV provider? 
I like how we we're going to do this. this on, yeah, talking about it after. We can talk about this after the fact. Uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of 43.6. Episode 46 of 43.6. We'll see you next week for episode 47. Thanks again for joining us and thank you for subscribing and all those wonderful things. We love you. Bye.